Please listen carefully. Psych Essentials is a show about learning psychiatry. It's fun and educational, but should not be taken as medical advice or opinion. So kick back and try not to worry about those glaring ego deficits. We like you anyway. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, James. I want to start off this episode with a little bit of music. Well, I love music. Let's do it. That's Lady Gaga from her single Million Reasons. She says, I try to make the worst seem better. Show me the way. She's talking about 100 million reasons to walk away, but then also needing this reason to stay. She's a person who's talked about having depression. I want to play another song for you and compare some of these lyrics with some of the ones that we just heard. That's Janet Jackson from her single, I Get Lonely. She says, I get so lonely, I can't let just anybody hold me. She's also talked about having depression and the role that depression has played in her music. And in both of these songs, they talk about this this sense of loneliness and isolation, but also this sense of like, how they relate to other people and that's something that i really wanted to highlight in their music as we go forward today yeah and i I mean think generally themes of sadness and depression are pretty common in music in general absolutely and some people have talked about having depression and how it's influenced their art those are just a couple people but i wanted to highlight them at the beginning of our show today We're talking about depression, and you may have a sense of what it means to feel down or depressed. Maybe you felt that way sometimes for for a little bit or or for a while. But I find that putting that into words is really difficult. And we we use a lot of metaphors or analogies. Like like sometimes I tell people that feeling depressed is like looking at the world with dark sunglasses or or that like a cloud is covering them because it's hard to describe what it's actually like to be depressed it's not feeling sad all the time or crying it's more of like absence of feeling happy kind of like an apathetic state where the idea of having more energy is both desirable and and kind of scary and then there's like guilt that you feel for being scared about this all and it it all swirls together Mm -hmm. depression can can be different for a lot of different people and people may experience it in all sorts of ways. I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Absolutely. When we talk about depression today, this is going to begin a series of four episodes. We're talking about some of the major psychiatric illnesses, and we're calling this the arts series because we're going to be talking about how some of these illnesses are experienced and particularly through the eyes of artists of all sort of different 
shapes and forms because I, I do want to kind of express and explore some of the creativity that people use when they talk about their mental illness. Right. So maybe music that was inspired by someone's struggle with depression or art or books, writing. This is this is where the art focus is coming in. We're going to start by talking about the symptoms of depression, what it's like to be depressed, and then how you as a student or a learner can interact with somebody who's depressed. And finally, what sort of questions to ask them when you do talk with somebody. So, Lindsay, you and our listeners have heard of the Siggy caps mm-hmm. mnemonic, and you probably know some of the criteria for depression, but I'm wondering if you could break down just generally, what are the criteria for depression? Sure. We did talk about Siggy caps in one of our earlier episodes on the psychiatric interview, but just to make sure that it's clear in everyone's mind. Siggy caps encompasses the symptoms of depression. So kind of a recap of the criteria, you need to have a depressed or irritable mood. In this depressed mood, it can be kind of a subjective experience of feeling down or sad, or this can also be something that perhaps the person themselves doesn't notice, but other people are noticing that they seem different. Or the mood can just be kind of persistently irritable, especially with adolescents, that's what we tend to see. And then going along with that is the neurovegetative symptoms that are part of SIGI caps as well. So this is getting at sleep, appetite, how much movement they have in their lives, like how much activity in their body, if, if it's less or more, um, also gets at their energy level, fatigue, feelings of worthlessness or guilt, and poor concentration. This category, neurovegetative, summarizes things pretty well. As neuro, as you're talking about sort of neurologic processes and functionings, and vegetative implies a sort of lower state. Exactly. We've also talked a little bit about the treatment, and this isn't going to be the episode where we focus on that. We've talked about some of the first-line treatments with antidepressant medication, so I'll refer you back to the episode where we talked about that. Psychotherapy also has evidence for treating depression, including specific types of therapy like cognitive behavioral therapy, And for that, we'll talk about more in the future. So, James, when someone has an episode of depression, are they more likely to get it again? What does it look like? Major depression does often recur. After your first episode, in the next two years, the rate of recurrence is like 40%. After you've had two episodes, the rate of recurrence in the next five years is 75%. Mm. So if somebody's had depression, it's worthwhile to seek treatment because they're likely to have depression again. Right on. That said, not everyone will have more depression. With that all in mind, I don't want to belabor all of these specific symptoms, but I do really want to spend some time talking about what it's like to be depressed. Like I said earlier, it's hard to capture the language of being depressed. And I want to pull from a different a different artistic media here and we're going to we're going to jump to the 21st well I guess those were in the 21st century as well. I don't know, we're calling Janet Jackson a 21st century yeah. pop star. Yeah. Loosely. Loosely. <laughs> I wanted to jump to the internet and I want to talk about Ali Brosh who wrote this blog, Hyperbole and a Half, and you have absolutely seen a meme or two that is based Clean on... Clean all the things. That is classic L.A. Brush. She wrote a couple of excellent blog posts, and we'll link to the full posts on our website. Psychessentials.org. And you can 
read them there, and I really hope you will. But I want to quote a couple things from her. Some people have a legitimate reason to feel depressed, but not me. I just woke up one day feeling sad and helpless for absolutely no reason. It's disappointing to feel sad for no reason. Sadness can be almost pleasantly indulgent when you have a way to justify it. You can listen to sad music and imagine yourself as the protagonist in a dramatic movie. You can gaze out the window while you're crying and think, this is so sad. I can't even believe how sad this whole situation is. I bet even a reenactment of my sadness could bring an entire theater audience to tears. But my sadness didn't have a purpose. Listening to sad music and imagining my life was a movie just made me feel kind of weird because I couldn't really get behind the idea of a movie theater where the character is sad for no reason. Essentially, I was robbed of my right to feel self-pity, which is the only redeeming part of sadness. It's mm, really good. I like her. She goes on to talk about what her experience was like, how her depression got deeper, and then what she did about it. Her cartoons are a lot of fun. Her cartoons well. are cool. fantastic. Yeah. Take a look. So, James, I'm wondering, now that we have a, a better sense of what it's like to be depressed, how can we better interact with our patients who are suffering from depression? There's a few things, and I wanted to talk about a couple of the tips that I've learned in interacting with people I'm thinking about what, what Ali Brosh said, and depression can sometimes feel confusing. People can feel lost and kind of unsure about this. People, I would say across the board, people are not feeling well. Mm -hmm. And so I would really urge you to be kind, to be considerate, and be a nice person. Yeah, be a good human. <laughs> I think that sounds, Bottom I mean, line. <laughs> maybe that's kind of In a weird psychiatry. first tip, but it can be hard to sit with somebody who's depressed. They aren't feeling well, and um, it goes far. Okay, I want to be a little more specific because I don't think that that's actually that helpful. It's important to provide empathy and, and sort of validate or acknowledge what a person's saying. So you may be asking some of the questions like we mentioned earlier. You know, you might say like, well, how'd you sleep? And they'll say, well, I'm not sleeping that well. And instead of saying, well, let's see, after sleep and Siggy Caps comes interest. How are your interests? You might take a moment there to, to pause when they say, I'm not sleeping well and be like, oh, that, that must be really hard. Yeah, I think that's a common initial learner mistake that I've seen is that there, people are thinking so hard in their head about what's the next question I should ask that they're not able to be present with the patient in a way that feels real and supportive. So picking up on those cues like, oh, man, I can't imagine how hard this must be for you. The same kind of those supportive things goes a long way. Yeah, and it's not something you have to say after every single thing that they say that's difficult. But as you listen, if it looks like somebody's having a hard time, just if you were like if you were listening to a friend and they said they were having a hard time, you know, you would say, "Huh, wow, that's that's tough." Yeah, I recommend talking in a calm voice. Like, see if you can make your voice feel feel kind of quieter and softer. You don't have to whisper, but bring yourself into a space that feels calm right so you don't want to be like super high energy bubbly happy when that affect is not at all matching the affect that your patient is presenting in front of you it kind of helps to try to be on the same level sometimes people will go into the interview feeling like if they are really happy they will bring the other person up to meet them 
And unfortunately, it just doesn't quite work. It ends up feeling a little mismatched and a little disingenuous. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you don't have to yourself be upset or tearful or crying. But I think just being calm and being present and, and maybe being a little softer in these moments mm-hmm. can feel a little more congruent. Okay, so James, what do you do if someone starts crying during the interview? If somebody starts crying, pause for a sec. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Offer them a tissue. Right on. And it's okay to keep talking. It doesn't mean that you have to majorly switch gears. It doesn't mean you have to apologize for making them cry. It doesn't mean that you did something wrong. But it is a nice moment to you know, provide like a humanistic tissue. And if someone's really upset, sometimes I'll just pause the interview and say like, you know, we can take a break now and we'll we'll restart again in, in just a little bit. But just so that they can kind of gain their bearings sometimes if they're super upset sobbing. Totally. Maybe you ask their permission mm-hmm. like, hey, do you think it'd be okay to keep talking now or would you prefer to wait for a little bit and talk later? Yeah. I also want to say that being nice doesn't mean like always agreeing with somebody or or sort of like acquiescing. Depression can come with a lot of bias or cognitive distortion. And we talked about the world kind of seeming gloomy earlier. And that's a little bit of this. So somebody might say, well, I just don't have enough energy to go for a walk. And rather than saying, yeah, that would take too much of your energy. Don't go for a walk. That's that's kind, but it's also kind of acquiescing. It's feeding into this. You might say, wow, I imagine how daunting it must feel to go for a walk, but actually going for a walk can make people feel more energetic after. So you're kind of acknowledging that they're struggling, but then also providing a path forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. Some education. Mm-hmm. And it's you're agreeing with how they're feeling, but not necessarily agreeing with the steps that they've taken. Right. I think it's a really good point just to be aware that you're not validating these cognitive distortions. Acknowledge the suffering, but also acknowledge that there's hope and treatment. Yeah, that's kind of a level 102 thing. So if you find that that's hard to keep in mind while you're keeping all these other things in mind, right. I'm just pointing out the kind of balance that you find yourself in of mm-hmm. being kind and, and sympathetic, but without necessarily feeling like you need to be agreeing with somebody in order to be nice. Mm-hmm. I'll also say that as you check in with yourself, you may start to feel sad or you might feel bad or you might feel kind of upset about what they're telling you or their circumstances and Often people who are depressed have had lots of things happen to them and and they themselves, like we said, are just not feeling great and their housing, their relationships, lots of things could be kind of stressful and you may feel a, a pull to want to help them. In psychiatry, we call that your response to the patient. That's an example of counter-transference, how you feel towards the patient, how some of their behaviors have made you feel. That's okay. That does not mean that something's wrong with them or something's wrong with you or you're not strong enough or you're not a good enough doctor. It's just how we all respond to people who are in different distress. And and sometimes something will stand out to me and, and, and Lindsay, you know, might hear the same story and it wouldn't stand out to you. And that's just because we've had different life experiences and we have different backgrounds and different things stand out to each of us separately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I do think being aware of that countertransference can be helpful in thinking about what the underlying issue is with the patient as well as how to move forward with them. We'll talk more about countertransference in future episodes about therapy, but useful to keep in mind now. At this point, I encourage you to check in with yourself and kind of identify 
that feeling because it, it could be kind of a useful internal flag that that the person you're talking to is depressed and at the same time have some awareness that if you start to feel compelled to do a lot of things for this person like I need to fix the problem or I need to make them feel better that those are really common countertransference themes and it could be something that's coming up for you. Again, doesn't mean you have to abandon ship, doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong, mm-hmm. but it's something to keep some awareness of. Why why am I doing this? What's driving me? Right. And as like another example of the countertransference thing, like when someone says they're sad, you can feel it in different ways. Like, for example, if you're talking to your friend, they're like, oh, man, I'm really sad because I missed that TV show yesterday. When you hear them talking about that sadness, you might not like kind of feel like, oh, my God, I feel so sad, too, when they say that. Whereas like when you have this incredibly depressed patient in front of you who's just clearly suffering, you'll also feel that in your body in a way that feels different. And that's important to just keep keep tabs on Mm -hmm. you may feel it differently from other people on your team and that doesn't mean that you're wrong or they're wrong it just means how you respond to people is different Mm -hmm. so james in addition to siggy cabs what are some other good questions to ask someone who's depressed well i have a bunch of questions here and i think they'll help us tease apart the various types of depression and some of the differential diagnoses that could come up as you think about depression okay You might ask somebody if they felt like this before and if so, when they felt like this and what was going on, how long this lasted, the last time they felt like this, what helped them get better. Here you're looking for, is this a first major depressive episode? Is this a recurrence of something that they've experienced before in their life? You may get a sense if a certain life stressor was happening then and maybe it's happening again. That makes sense. Yeah. It's also important to assess for safety. Absolutely. Like every patient, really. Every patient. Yeah. And when I say safety, I mean thoughts about wanting to hurt themselves. And that would be a question like, have you had thoughts about death or thoughts about not wanting to be alive? Here you could go into more depth. You could talk about whether they've made plans, whether they've made preparatory steps, what sort of means they have. And by means, I mean different ways that they could hurt themselves, whether that's Mm -hmm. weapons or pills or whether they've thought about sort of enacting one of these plans. Intent would be how how likely they are and the intent to do something. The how much they want to act on these thoughts. Mm -hmm. And here you're thinking about the risk. So you compile a bunch of different pieces of data and together they add up to risk. Now We'll talk about this a little bit more, so stay tuned for the next episode. But I'll ask people, have you ever felt the opposite of this with tons of energy where you were awake for days at a time or doing things that are outside your usual? We'll have a ton of questions about how to ask for bipolar disorder, which is what this question is getting at next time. I'll say sometimes when people are feeling down, they notice that their minds will play tricks on them and that sometimes people will hear voices or see things that other people aren't seeing, and I'll ask if that's been the case for them. So you're assessing for presence of psychosis here. There's like a psychotic component to the depression, or even if it's something different altogether, like a schizoaffective disorder. Right. Yeah. I'm asking in asking about auditory and visual hallucinations and delusions. Mm-hmm. We're talking about psychotic symptoms. We'll talk more about schizophrenia and other psychotic illnesses in two episodes Mm -hmm. this goes back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier but 
I'll ask people what's been happening recently, what sort of things have been stressing you out, and identifying specific stressors and a specific timeline can be helpful as we think about what qualifies as depression as we get a little more ticky-tacky in our diagnostic criteria, right? So these symptoms for more than two weeks and when they started and, and things of that nature. It also helps you suss out things that are stressful. An adjustment disorder is something that is in response to a major stressor. And if something major had just happened, someone had lost their job, they just gotten a divorce. A, or like diagnosed with a major medical illness Absolutely, or cancer. Yeah. This adjustment period could be possible. Grief or the loss of something or someone is also a stressor, but grief can look a lot like depression. Lindsay, can you help us elaborate a little bit on like what could differentiate those two? Yeah, I mean, I think with depression, it tends to be more of like a sustained sadness and a lack of enjoyment of most things in their life, whereas grief tends to come in these like intense waves. But at other points, they might not feel that same sadness. And the sadness revolves around the loss of the loved one. So that's those are just some some basic features to look for to help you figure out if it's grief or, or maybe like a true major depression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, and this is maybe a little straightforward, but grief comes after the loss of, of someone. Right. And depression right. could, but does not have to. Exactly. Asking about substance use, have you used drugs, how much, how often will help you sort of suss out whether there's a substance-induced component of this mood that you're seeing. You might also go ask about what other sort of medical conditions you have as you go through review of systems. And you're considering here a mood disorder that could be due to another general medical condition. Yeah, because you can see depression oftentimes in uh, neurologic illness or in um, cardiovascular illness. Both are very common. Depression, if we're talking about a major depressive episode, has impacted somebody's life and it impacts things like their ability to function at work or at school or in relationships or in other sort of key domains. And so ask about how this has affected their life, how the relationships are, how they've been able to work. And and here again, you're thinking about is this is this something that is affecting their life or is this part of the you know the human existence of of being sad and being down and mm-hmm. and we can all feel down and we have abilities to to cope with that in ways that it it hasn't come to affect our life right that's a nice way of framing that but yeah it's okay to have affect <laughs> it's okay to be sad <laughs> yes so today we've been talking about depression and we wanted to introduce it in a slightly different style We're talking about what it's like to be depressed, the symptoms in general. We also talked about how some people have expressed these ideas in more creative ways. The better we have an understanding of what it's really like to be depressed, the better we can empathize and support these patients in their treatment and recovery. I want to go out with a clip from Jack Antonoff and his song carry on he talks about being lost alone feeling like you're sinking and feeling this need to continue on and the song is has a kind of upbeat 
quality and his sort of anthemic nature, but he also references the sort of difference between feeling like you're something that is succeeding, this idea of being a shining star and not quite feeling like that you meet that yourself. We'll listen for a few and then we'll be back in a sec. You swore and said we are not, we are not shining stars. This I know, I never said we are. Though I've never been through hell like that, I've closed enough windows to know you can never look back. If you're lost in a long, or you're sinking like a stone, carry on. May your past be the sound of your feet upon the ground, carry on. Carry on, carry on. Thanks so much for listening. This is the start of our series about some of the major psychiatric illnesses. Please check out our website. Let us know what you've thought and what you'd like to hear more about in the future. You can also check out some of the links to everything we've talked about today. Our website is www.psychessentials.org. You can also follow us. We're on Twitter and on Facebook. Facebook. Yep. Lindsay posts things on the reg. You can also rate, comment, and share Psych Essentials. We're on iTunes. Our music is by Javier Suarez off the album Tumbling Dishes. There's a link on our website. As usual, people, places, things we've talked about have been changed to protect confidentiality. And I do want to put in a shout out for some of the artists that we've been talking about today as they've talked about some of the depression that they've struggled with publicly. That's right. Yep. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Until next time. Bye.